Welcome into episode number five of the Marine Layer Podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, the Mariners make a trade. They trade for Brewers second baseman Colton Wong. Our free agent profile of the week is former Mets outfielder Brandon Nimmo. Winter meetings are underway. There's signings galore to talk about. Trey Turner to the Phillies, Jacob DeGrom to the Rangers, and then we'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. With that, let's get it rolling. And we welcome you into the Marine Layer Podcast here on Tuesday, December 6th. And shit is going down in San Diego at the winter meetings. Aaron Judge was a giant for all of two minutes this afternoon, Lyle. But Arson Judge is still a giant. Yeah, that's right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a classic. Here on this Tuesday, whenever you might be listening to this, Aaron Judge might be a giant by now, whenever you are listening to this podcast, but quite a thrill this afternoon when John Heyman tweeted out at around 2.20 in the afternoon Pacific time that Arson Judge was a giant, then follows it up and says, actually, Aaron Judge is a San Francisco giant, and then two minutes after that says, oh, sorry, team didn't confirm. It's like... (laughs) I mean, the Mariners world, especially on Twitter, has to be rejoicing a little bit because for how much John Heyman likes to trash this franchise, it almost feels like karma got back at him a little bit. And he was just getting flamed in his, oh, oops, sorry, they, they didn't uh, they didn't confirm with me. And then like the quote tweets are like five times the, the retweets and, and the reply. I mean, a true just ratio in the sense of the matter. He was just getting absolutely shredded, and I was <laughs> I was enjoying it so much. So, <sighs> Always check your so, sources, folks. Always yeah. check your sources. So was I. I mean, and it was very apparent that he was trying to tweet it out as fast as humanly possible to be first, because somehow before hitting send on that tweet, he somehow never looked to see that he spelled it arson. Like Aaron's not That's an uncommon name. Do. That is true. As you know, that is something I would do. When you try, mm-hmm. you're typing too fast and your thumb just, you're, it goes a little bit too far and hits the R. Just, <laughs> it's tough out there. But that was really, really entertaining to see, uh, to see this afternoon. It's not going to be the last time. I think we'll get some, some sort of fake breaking news uh, of the sort, but we'll have to find out. I think the rumor is that they're up to 360 million with Judge, which is an incredible number to to think about. He deserves all the cash he gets. We'll keep monitoring that as we go along. But right now, Aaron Judge is still a free agent, so we'll not be talking about it on this episode. Let's get into the Mariners subjects on today's pod. They Mariners make a trade this week. They trade for Brewers second baseman Colton Wong in a vacuum. I really like this trade. The full trade goes as follows. The Mariners get Colton Wong and $1.75 million in cash. And then the Brewers get Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro. And I see this return, what the Mariners are giving up here to Milwaukee. And I was like, wow, I'm at a loss for words. You fill a need with two players who had no room on your roster for 2023. I know you've been grieving all week about the loss of Abe Toro. 
all week. <laughs> I forgot he was the least valuable player on the entire roster to have. If if we look at wins above replacement, Abe Toro this year was last among every Mariners player who put on a Mariners uniform and played in a game this year. Dead last. Negative 0.7 wins above replacement. I'm sure Abe's a nice guy, but man, I'm glad he's they don't need an excuse to put him on the roster this upcoming year. Thank goodness. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. Well, let's put it like this. If you're a Mariners fan and you're upset that this is what the team decided on for their middle infield need instead of going after one of the big four shortstops, sure. I think your feelings are warranted if you wanted to see the team spend big in free agency. But this trade itself alone with no other surrounding factors, how can you be mad about it? Colton Wong is a three-win player and a valuable second baseman. And in return, they gave up two players that lost the team games last year. I mean, there's no way, shape, or form that anybody could be unhappy about just the trade itself. It's a good trade. Like you said, in in a vacuum, this is a good trade. Now, once this trade was made, you knew that you weren't getting one of those shortstops. Barring just some miracle, you weren't getting one of those shortstops. And I know a favorite amongst Mariner fans was getting Trey Turner. Well, the Padres, we'll get to this later, offered Trey Turner $41 more million than the Phillies did, and he still signed in Philadelphia. So that tells you everything you need to know about Trey Turner wanting to come to the West Coast. And Jerry maybe sees that and gets that inkling from them as like, okay, well, we need to do something we can control, and we can control getting a good fit on our roster in Colton Wong, who is an absolute upgrade at second base. So, like, just look at his hitting numbers from this year. He's coming off his age 32 season, one of his best offensive seasons of his career, slash 251, 339, 430, with a 116 WRC+, plus, two and a half fan graphs, wins above replacement, a walk rate of 9%, a uh, 17% strikeout rate, which is really good, and a career-high 15 home runs. He was able to slug the ball a lot, And I think that's an area where the Mariners didn't get anything from their second baseman last year, especially with Adam Frazier, a very soft hitting second baseman. And there's a little bit more upside here with Colton Wong. There's no doubt. And I think the plan, while DePoto hasn't outwardly said it yet, is to platoon Colton Wong and Dylan Moore because Colton Wong is phenomenal against right-handed pitching. This past year, Colton Wong put up an 845 OPS against right-handed pitching. He was great. And Dylan Moore is a guy that hits lefties really well. So you combine those two together and play to their strengths, you could combine for five to five and a half wins at the second base position. And if a Mariners fan saw that, I don't think anybody's complaining. And that's like a dream scenario. And that's given the rest of the roster stays healthy and Dylan doesn't have to play somewhere else. I would imagine we're still going to see Demo in the outfield a little bit this upcoming season. But in a perfect world, you're right. You get a 135 WRC plus with Colton Wong versus righties last year. Dylan Moore, 137 WRC plus versus lefties last year. That's, you know, an all-star caliber second baseman if you, you know, Again, in a vacuum, combine those two numbers. I like it a lot, and the defense uh, can improve as well. Colton Wong coming off a poor defensive season, the worst one of his career, negative nine outs above average, negative seven defensive runs saved. But, you know, for his career, he's sort of a hit-and-miss defender. So I, I don't know if that's really something that you have to be too worried about. He struggled with injuries. Like, he had core. Uh, he was dealing with core injuries most of the year. He also uh, had a calf injury in June, which could definitely limit his mobility at second base. 
that's what most people seem to talk about is most people seem to credit Wong's down defensive season this past year to injuries. He just wasn't fully healthy. He was playing hurt a lot of the year. If he's fully healthy in 2023, I think you'll see at the very least a league average defender and at best something much better than that because most of his career, he's been a really good defender at second base. Yeah, and to think how good he could be when he's healthy. Like, I mean, we could just look at his first half and second half numbers at the plate. He had a 141 WRC plus in the second half last year. Again, had that calf injury in June, but was healthy after that and had a 141 WRC plus. That would have been the second best mark on the Mariners last year <laughs> if he carried that out over a full season. So, you know, the enticement is there. And I think a lot of that, maybe what Jerry uh, noticed when he was looking at Colton Wong, and I think they, they were attempting to sign Colton Wong in the 2021 offseason, but Colton Wong wanted this third season, which would have been this year, and they didn't do it. So he ended up going to Milwaukee instead. But he had a career-high fly ball rate last year. Uh, the Brewers wanted him to, to hit the ball in the air more and hit for a little bit more power, and it really played off in a, uh, sorry, paid off in a good way on the offensive end. On almost all fronts of this trade, it's a plus for the Mariners. The only thing is he only has one year left on his deal. So I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but you trade for Teoscar Hernandez, who has a year left on his contract. You trade for Colton Wong, who has a year left on his contract. They will have to go back to the drawing board at this time next year again, unless they extend one or two of these guys, which may happen. It may not. But for the 2023 season alone, they're off to a good start. They've added two very productive, valuable offensive pieces to improve the lineup. So it's it's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. I think the the cost of this really, it's not what you gave up. Because as we mentioned, Abraham Toro and Jesse Winker off the roster are a net positive for the Mariners. The reports came out after the season that Jesse Winker wasn't a big clubhouse hit. It had worn thin. You could sort of see the frustration on uh, in Scott's press conferences with Jesse Winker as the as the year rolled on with Jesse, and it just never really seemed like it was going to work out here. And I credit Jerry for admit essentially admitting he was wrong on both Abe Toro and Jesse Winker. Abe Toro, remember, in the Kendall Graveman trade, is like, oh, we're so high on this guy. I really love his upside, his versatility at the plate, being a switch hitter, and then you just watch him. He's just so bad. Just did not produce at all. And the fact that Jerry is able to acknowledge he got it wrong and ship them both off to a fresh start in Milwaukee, it's good to see, thankfully, Jerry. But to the cost I was talking about, Lyle, I saw this floated around on Twitter, and I agree. Opportunity cost was probably the most uh, affected by this trade because, again, that meant you weren't going to get that big bat in the infield, which could linger, could not. Depends how this all works out. They're not going to see one of the big four shortstops in a Mariners uniform. That's almost guaranteed. But I'll tell you this, one guy who's not out of the question yet, Brandon Nimmo. That's going to be our free agent profile this week as we transition into it. This is a guy I've been very high on for a long time. It's a guy I've really wanted the Mariners to circle. And we're going to highlight him this week because he is unsigned. There have been some rumors, light rumors, over the last few weeks that the Mariners have checked in on him. I think he is a perfect, perfect fit for this team. But I'll ask you, TJ... Why do you feel the same way? Because we've talked about this. 
Mariners love to say how much they like guys controlling the zone and such, and that's exactly what Brandon Nimmo does. His on-base percentage is really good for his career. 367 on-base percentage this past season, 16 home runs, 137 WRC+, and he's a leadoff hitter. They don't have a true leadoff hitter on this roster Put Julio there. I would rather Julio hit second or third, preferably second. And I think Brandon Nimmo would be the perfect guy to put in front of him. Not the biggest power guy in the world, but man, this guy walks a ton. Has Before this season, we had a 10% walk rate. He had a walk rate of over 14% every season of his career. Every season, 14% is really good. So he lowers that to 10% this past season, but he also has a career-low strikeout rate as well, 17%, which just shows you he's controlling the zone and the perfect guy you want to top your lineup. He walks a ton, and like you just said, you hit the nail right on the head. He's a table setter. He's on base. He can help Julio drive in runs. You mentioned the power. Yes, his home run totals have never been through the roof. That doesn't mean... He has a lack of offensive production. In fact, it's very, very far from it. You want to look at his OPS plus over the last few years. 2018, 148. That's 48% above league average. 2020, in a shortened season, 145. That's 45% above league average. 131 in 2021, and then 130 this past year in 2022. That is an offensive producer. In fact, his OPS plus would have been the second highest on the team other than Julio. And another thing I didn't even realize, Lyle, is, you know, he he has over a full major league season had a 400 on base percentage. You know how hard that is to do? He had a yeah. 404 on base percentage as a 25-year-old in 2018. That's, that's not very easy to do to have a 400 on base percentage. That's, you know, an elite territory of, of the true profile of an offensive player of reaching first base. 404 in 2018. I didn't realize that. At a 401 last year, albeit in just 92 games. In the COVID season, 55 games. Had a 404 on base percentage. I I, I just couldn't think of, you know, a guy who is a better fit, both, you know, in the lineup and in the outfield as well. He's a center fielder, grades out about an average center fielder. Um, if you look at the different defensive metrics of defensive runs saved and outs above average, but he wouldn't even need to play center field. He would go out there and he'd probably play left field, which would give you a pretty good fielding outfield as well. Be a great fielding outfield. This past year, he had a really good year defensively, put up six outs above average. For the most part, he's been average to slightly above league average in his career. But like you said, if he doesn't have to cover as much ground and can play left field with Julio in center. How could you not be signed up for that? The reason I like Nemo so much is because he seems like the most realistic of the star free agents that the Mariners could bring in. It never seemed like they wanted to give an eight, nine year deal to one of these shortstops. It feels <laughs> like 11. you could give or 11. <laughs> it feels like you could give Nemo a five year deal for around a hundred to $105 million and he'd be open to it. And five-year deal, I think, would would be great. Because if we're talking about these 11-year contracts, like Trey Turner will be making $27 million when he's 40. And Bryce Harper, I think, will his contract will have expired the year before. But like that's the kind of example here. But you don't have to pay Brandon Nimmo until he's 40 years old. I think that's the big plus here. And in terms of AAV, it's not going to be much more than $20 million. 
for a Brandon Nimmo. It, it, you know, it could be 22, 23, but it's not nothing really out of this world, nothing this team can't afford for the most part. So when you combine the five-year deal with the, you know, low-ish AAV with the quality fit, I, I just don't see how you don't give Brandon Nimmo your best offer. He's also a West Coast-ish guy. He's from Cheyenne, Wyoming, which I didn't know they produced <laughs> Major League Baseball players. I wrote down this note. He is one of only 25 players ever to, from the state of Wyoming to play Major League Baseball. That was uh, an interesting nugget. was a first-round pick out of high school in Wyoming. I didn't, do, I didn't dive in that much. But I could imagine he is one of maybe a handful. I probably you could probably count on one hand how many first round picks out of that state there have been. Um, but it's a it's a cool part to see. So we, we would hope maybe he wants to come back to the uh, the great frontier of the West. So the story with him is he had to play a lot of travel ball in high school because obviously Wyoming, the weather's terrible, especially early in the spring. So you have to find other solutions. So he was on the travel circuit a lot of his high school career. I remember that because when Jared Kelnick got drafted by the Mets back in 2018, they were actually comparing him and Nimmo because Nimmo was already a Met by then. Kelnick had to do the same thing growing up in Wisconsin where he couldn't really play a lot of baseball early in the year, a lot of the year as a whole in Wisconsin because the weather was so bad. So he was on the travel circuit. So I always remember those two getting compared because they were both first round draft picks from bad weather states. Now, let me sell you this with Brandon Nemo. In 2022, he had a higher war than Trey Turner, Rafael Devers, Vladdy, Alex Bregman, just to name a few. If that doesn't sell you, I can't help you. Now, the only caveat here is that Jerry DePoto came out this week and said they're looking for a right-handed bat, which I'm like, a right-handed outfield bat. Brandon Nimmo is not right-handed. He is not. However, if we're talking about balance, 137 WRC plus against right-hand pitchers, 130 WRC plus against lefties. Jerry, don't let the handiness fool you. He can do both. Go get him. I agree. I'm all for it. I'm with you. I think, do I think Jerry DePoto is lying with that? No. I also don't think he wants to get everybody's hopes up saying, oh yeah, we're going to sign Brandon Nemo Because like we always talk about, the Mariners are pretty good about not leaking their plans and ideas. They don't like, they don't like stuff to get out. So, if they sign Nimmo, it would probably be out of the blue, and we'd just see it one day, and Passon would basically bomb us with a tweet. I think it's still no, possible just, they could bring bring in Nimmo. Yeah, and John Morosi was like sort of leaking us information on Twitter that the Mariners had checked in on Nimmo. Again, they check in on a lot of guys, I'm sure. I would still be flabbergasted if Brandon Nimmo is not near the top of their list. Uh, they have all these numbers, too. They can look at his production versus righties and lefties. They know he's a good fielder. They know he would fit this roster. They know he would be a good leadoff hitter here. And they know he would probably be comfortable coming back to the West Coast. That's all I hope Jerry is looking at, right? I I, I don't think you can back yourself into a corner here looking for a right-hand hitter. Especially when you have two other righties out in the outfield. (laughs) I agree. And especially when you look at somebody like Brian Reynolds, who's on the trade block, who we might get to later here in the show, that would cost a haul of prospects. Brandon Nimmo, you just have to sign him. I mean, mm-hmm. the fit seems so obvious. What, whether it happens or not, I can't promise you. But the ball's in their court with this one. Uh, all I have to say is please don't go cheap. 
don't 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 limit your don't limit yourself to a number, right? And if someone blows Brandon Nimmo away with an offer of thirty million dollars a year, oh well. But if it's an affordable price, I think you have to do it. You absolutely have to do it. Let's go a little more national and let's look around baseball with our MLB wraparound. The news coming out earlier this week, which pained me, really just pained me to look at this. Jacob DeGrom is a Texas Ranger. Let me repeat myself. Jacob DeGrom is a Texas Ranger Lyle. Now, the positive, if you're looking at this from a Mariners perspective... They don't have to play the Rangers as many times this year because the schedule's changing. Now you play everybody. That is the one positive. I'm waiting for the butt. <laughs> but I'm not happy he's a Texas Ranger. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. DeGrom signs a five-year, $186 million contract with the Rangers earlier this week. He will get $30 million this season, $40 million in 2024 and 2025, $38 million in 2026, $37 million in 27. Deal also contains a conditional option based on factors of health and success and has a full no-trade clause. So the Rangers, in the blink of an eye, after ahead of the A's, but still having a very terrible pitching staff by AL West standards, now have the best pitcher in the division which just just frustrates me that the, that they're able to spend this money. They signed Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon last offseason, and then they line, excuse me, they land the biggest fish in the pond this offseason with Jacob deGrom. Question is, is he going to be healthy? That's been the caveat the last couple seasons. He has not been healthy. Now, his injury history before the last couple years has been pretty good. But all of a sudden, as he's aged a little bit, it's been up and down. Now, if he's healthy, that's going to be deadly for the Rangers. And and to be honest, their pitching staff all of a sudden is shaping up okay. I'm not going to sit here and say it's elite, but between DeGrom, Martin Perez, who had a good year, John Gray, who they signed last year, and now Andrew Heaney after landing him today, who's fine. I mean, he's a four to five starter. It's better than it was, that's for sure. Yeah, depth-wise, I think is the biggest thing we were looking at with their pitching staff. DeGrom this past season, a 308 ERA and 64 and a third innings. Forgot his strikeout to walk numbers, Lyle. 102 strikeouts to eight walks. It's pretty good. He averaged 99 miles an hour on his fastball, which is more than most relievers average on their fastball. When I always watch Jacob DeGrom pitch, I wonder if he's ever going to dial it back a little bit to try and preserve his arm health a little bit, because it seems like as his velocity has jumped, by the way, his velocity has gone up every single season since, I think, 2016. The injuries have piled up as well, so I wonder if he'll tamper that down a little bit to try and keep himself healthier. But man, when this guy is on, I mean, you're talking 100, 101 through six innings on his fastball and a slider that is nearly unhittable. He has a changeup and a curveball too that he doesn't even use because he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. That's just how good he is, and that's what just pains me. The fact that the Mariners are going to have to face him in their own division this year. Do you think any part of Jacob Degrom chose the Rangers because he wanted to keep a lot more of his money than he was keeping? And I, what I mean by that is. 
There's no state income tax in Texas, where in New York, you obviously have to fork over a lot of your yearly salary. Do you think that played a factor at all? Yes, I think it plays a factor with a lot of guys. That's probably why Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon were so enticed to go there. And also, the Rangers are just aggressive. Do you think anyone else gave Jacob deGrom five guaranteed years? I don't think so. Probably not. It's it's unlikely. I mean, I guess we'll get to the Mets in a minute, so I'll hold off any Mets talk. But yeah, I would think four years is more in the range of, of what deGrom mostly heard and was being offered. Maybe the Rangers went that extra year and were able to land them as a result. So that would make sense. The only thing about the Rangers is I still don't think this team is even quite a 500 team after adding DeGrom. This was a 68 win team last year. If they add DeGrom and he's healthy all year and puts up a six or seven war, that's still a 75 to 76 win team. I think they still need another couple real moves to get themselves over the hill here because they do not have a great farm. And so far, a lot of their young prospects haven't been all that great. Yeah, they brought Josh Young up. He was okay. Uh, Actually, he was pretty bad at the plate this year in his larger sample size in the big leagues. Nathaniel Lowe's really turned into a good first baseman. Jonah Himes turned into a really good catcher as well. But man, outside of like Adolis Garcia in that outfield, there's there's not much on that roster. And their bullpen too. I mean, they have LeClerc at the back, but otherwise there's it's pretty thin, right? So there, there's a lot of star power on this Rangers team. They're going to draw well. They're going to make a ton of money off of him. And I don't think they're out of the, the rest of free agency. I really think they could go sign another big name if they wanted to. They've shown that they are willing to pay these guys – uh, just to note, their payroll this year is the highest it has ever been in franchise history, but it doesn't seem like they'll slow down with this signing. They'll be fun to watch. Doesn't necessarily mean they'll be good. Yeah, they're probably not done, and they kind of can't be done if they're serious about competing because this roster has more needs that they need to fill out. Well, from the best pitcher on the market being signed to what's been so far the best hitter on the market to sign, Trey Turner signs an 11-year million deal with the Philadelphia Phillies signed through his age 40 season and no opt-outs. Man, did he get paid, TJ? He did. A lot of this makes sense, right? His wife is from New Jersey, close to Philly. Trey's from Florida. The Phillies train in Florida in the offseason in the spring. The two of them live in Florida. The Padres offered him... I don't remember if it was 11 years, but they offered him $341 million guaranteed, $41 million more million guaranteed in San Diego than Philadelphia. And Trey Turner still chose Philly because it was on the East Coast. So I followed that up, not Lyle, with a note that says, so much for that pipe dream of the Mariners signing Trey Turner. Because after seeing those numbers, it was apparent he never was going to go to the West Coast. I mean, what would the Padres have to offer Trey Turner to go there? 400 maybe? Four fit like probably four hundred, right? You would think. I would think so. I mean, if he's turning down that much money just to go back to the East Coast, he must really want to be there. He also reunites with Phillies hitting coach Kevin Long, who was with the Nationals from twenty eighteen to twenty twenty one. Really helped Trey uh, and Trey said this become a real a better hitter at the big league level. Credits a lot of his his growth to Kevin Long, and Kevin Long is the current Phillies hitting coach. So I'm happy for Trey. He gets his money. He gets 11 years. When I saw that number, I just thought, I sat here and I thought, 
that is Dave Dombrowski. That that is peak Dave Dombrowski. I mean, he's just done this multiple times now. He did it with the Marlins, not to this extent, really, uh, back in the early 2000s, because they didn't really have the financial means. Both the Tigers in the early 2010s, I mean, he built up this old, expensive win-now roster. They get old. They start stinking. He gets fired. Goes to Boston. Does the same thing. An older roster, but expensive. They win a World Series, then start sucking, and Dabrowski leaves. Now he goes to Philadelphia. Signs Bryce. Did he sign Bryce Harper? I think he did. I believe. I think so. It would make sense if he did. Regardless, mm-hmm. uh, you could just look at the, the signings last offseason, right? Nick, Nick Castellanos, old, right? Old, expensive bat. Now Trey Turner. Uh, and he'll probably, you know, he's going to have to extend Aaron Nola again eventually. And Zach Wheeler, they've already signed to an expense, ex, <clears throat> expensive contract. And now you have Trey Turner for 11 years. 11. I, I don't think anyone else was going to offer Trey Turner 11 years. That That's insane. Good for Trey. Man, That that's a lot, a lot of years. Let's retract. Dombrowski did not sign Harper because he came on in 2021. But even still, mm-hmm. it's still a very Dombrowski-type move. He probably he would have signed off on that deal. Oh, yeah. 100%. They're going to have to win a World Series within the first four to five years of this Trey Turner contract, I would imagine. Because these contracts between Harper, between Turner, it's going to build up. To the point where they're not going to have a lot of roster flexibility. So they better win when all these guys are in their prime. Because to sign this guy through his age 40 season, to be paying him $27 million at age 40, you better capitalize on the front half of that contract. I can't wait for me and you to like sit there and look at this Phillies roster in 2031, let's say. And we see old Bryce and old Trey still making about $27 million each probably both neither good health, et cetera. And it's like, wow. <laughs> Remember when they signed those contracts? That's crazy. <laughs> so and it's uh, it's it's good for good for Trey, though. I'm happy for him. And by that time, Julio will be, what, 29 and still in his prime? And still in the middle of his contract. Yeah, exactly. Essentially. And that's the thing. Jerry does not like giving out contracts like this. So when I saw what Trey Turner got, that only confirmed – yeah, the Mariners are not getting any of these shortstops because even if all four of these guys don't get 11 years, it's not going to be that far off. And I don't think DePoto wants to pay nine, 10 years to any of these guys. He saw what happened when he took this job and had to inherit the Robinson Cano contract. It was a nightmare. They just paid that off. Just. They, fi- they Shout out. This year, they sent, they sent the final $3 million to the Mets. Yeah. Shout out our TikTok account. If you want to hear more about that, you can go over there. Yeah, at Marine Layer Pod on TikTok, make a bunch of short form content. I'm sure <laughs> this will be in there in some way or form. Um, yeah, I didn't think, Lyle, of all the things to be popular, some, you know, kind of irrelevant news now of Robinson Cano's contract getting paid off by the Mariners would be a big hit on this day where Aaron Judge is a giant for two minutes. But <laughs> what do I know, right? Um, yeah, so Trey Turner is now a Philadelphia Philly. For the next 11 seasons, man, 11 years from now, I'm going to be 35 years old. No, don't want to think about that. Another signing taking place this week. Just 
a matter of hours after Jacob deGrom signs with the Texas Rangers. Justin Verlander, as we had mentioned earlier, signed was the Mets plan B option for Jacob deGrom. And Steve Cohen follows through on his promise. Justin Verlander signs with the Mets a two-year $86.6 million deal on Monday, an average of $43 million a year, ties him with Max Scherzer for the highest annual average contract of all time. Big money in Queens. Huge money. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We said, I don't really want to pay a 40-year-old $43 million. Well, Steve Cohen doesn't really seem to give two shits what we have to say because he's going to pay Justin Verlander $43 million for the next two years. Now, to be fair, it's not three years like we originally thought it was going to be because that's what Verlander was asking for. But the Mets needed a replacement for DeGrom. They got one and a guy who just won the Cy Young. And joins his former Tigers teammate, Max Scherzer. I almost forgot about this aspect, but he does indeed join Scherzer, former Tigers teammates from 2010 to 2014. Two of the oldest and most expensive starting pitchers in baseball. Scherzer will be 39 in July. Justin Verlander will be 40 in February. And I'm sitting here thinking about this contract. And you have a 40-year-old making 43 and a 39-year-old making 43. I'm like, when has ever the age and the value of the contract ever been so close than these two? I mean, at this old age, it's just kind of crazy to think about. Um, It is. And and talk about win now because – This is an older roster, to say the least, especially in their rotations. So similar to the Phillies, the Mets need to capitalize on these contracts now because they're not going to be around forever. Can you help me understand something, though, with this Mets process? Help me help me walk through this, because for the last couple of days, I just can't understand it for the life of me. We just talked about DeGrom, right? DeGrom's contract is six million dollars less per year than Verlander's. The Mets said no to paying Jacob DeGrom until he's 39 years old. That's when his contract ends. But they're okay paying Justin Verlander starting at age 40? How does that make any sense? I I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Maybe the we don't know because this stuff didn't come out. Maybe the Mets did offer him five years. It's entirely possible they did. And Jacob DeGrom's like, well, there's no state tax in Texas. So I get more of my money, and that's why I go. It could have been that simple. It really could have. Maybe Jacob DeGrom was tired of living in Queens. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. But in in a vacuum, the way you think about it, it does make no sense. Justin Verlander has come off two of the best old pitcher seasons of all time, winning the Cy Young at 37 and 39 with two years off in between, essentially, for Tommy John surgery. Made one start in 2020 and then missed the entire 2021 season, comes back and wins the Cy Young again in 2022. But Father Time is undefeated, especially for pitchers. Randy Johnson defied it for a while, but he eventually fell off. And Justin Verlander's thrown over 3,000 innings in his career. Eventually, it's got to catch up to him. And if he falls off during this contract, I mean, you're talking about a $43 million dead weight in your rotation. That's a lot. It's a gamble. There's no doubt it's a gamble. Really quick here before we wrap this up. You mentioned his one start he made in 2020 before he got hurt. Do you remember that start? Oh, I do. I was sitting in front of a TV watching it. Kyle Lewis <laughs> took him deep in the second inning. <laughs> took him onto the train tracks. Yeah. 
recipes, Kyle ball. Lewis. Hope he's hope he's soaking up the sunshine while we're freezing up here in the Northwest. I agree. Final topic here on the MLB wraparound. Not an official move, but it got leaked this week that Pirates star outfielder Brian Reynolds has requested a trade out of Pittsburgh. This is something you often don't see in Major League Baseball. Essentially, Brian Reynolds is out here pulling an NBA move. He's trying to have all the power, all the control, and say, get me off this franchise, or get me away from this franchise, get me off this team. I want to play for a contender. So do we think the Pirates give into this? Well, they're losing leverage at this point. It might not be this offseason, but he's going to eventually get traded. It just seems like there's writing on the wall. I mean, we how much we spent some time last week talking trashing the Pirates for not signing any free agents, right? <laughs> Carlos Santana being their most expensive signing since the 2016 offseason. So, of course, you know, Brian Reynolds probably sits down at the table is like mapping it out with them. It's like, yeah, if you guys are serious about this, I'm probably expecting seven, eight years around 20 to 25 million dollars a year. And the Pirates front office sits there with their jaws on the floor like, oh, that's a lot of money. And he's like, oh, that's not that much. And they're like, we can't do that. It's just like, All right, I'm out. You know, I think there are some things baseball could take away from the NBA. And I think players being petty and demanding trades would be one of them. So hat tip to you, Brian Reynolds and Jerry. I wouldn't be opposed to making this deal. It could be expensive, but it would work out quite well. What are you willing to give up for him if the Mariners were to trade for him? Because they've been rumored and linked to Brian Reynolds since last year. I'm sure they're interested in this. So what would you give up? So here's some background on Reynolds this year. Uh, 262, 345, 461, 125 WRC+. Plus. Oh, we have some breaking news here, dog. Um, oh. Right here on the show. Mitch Hanniger oh and the San Francisco Giants, three years, $43.5 million. Say that one more time. Mitch Hanniger and the San Francisco Giants have agreed to a contract, three years, $43.5 million. <sighs> So I think we have a, a replacement subject here for Brian Reynolds. Good for Mitch. I'm happy for Mitch. I'm very happy for Mitch. $43.5 million for three seasons. Yeah. Stays on the West Coast. Went to Cal Poly. Happy for Mitch. That's great. Yeah. glad. I'm glad he got his money. He, de- I mean, he deserves it. And the Mariners probably didn't want to go three years, if I had to guess. I would assume they were trying to re-sign him within within what you'd call like a two-year contract or somewhere around those limits, I guess. Uh But yeah, I mean, if San Francisco was willing to give him more and he's got a chance to go back to California and he's going to make his money after waiting a long time to hit free agency, yeah, you're definitely happy for him. I just wonder how the players in the Mariners clubhouse are going to react because you remember some of those quotes at the end of the year. They said, Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine this team without Mitch Hanniger. Now, we had started to imagine it, but it's it may take a toll on some of these players here. It might, but again, guys understand this is a business. And guys want Mitch to get paid. They're probably very happy he finally got that payday. I mean, this is a guy who's been injured to shit for his career. And, you know, they want him to be... They want him to be financially well off. I mean, every time he's going into arbitration while he's been with the Mariners, he's been getting hurt. So it just tanks his value. And we heard it on, you know, through many sources 
when the season was coming to an end, it's like Mitch wants to test the market. He wants to get that payday. And finally, he has that wealth that'll set him up for the rest of his life. $43.5 million to play for a really good franchise in the San Francisco Giants. So I'm happy for him. Now, here's the question I have. How does this affect Judge? Because we see them signing a right-handed outfielder, not the right-handed outfielder we expected with this trade. So I don't know. It, that's just a question I have here after seeing that live. I don't think it affects Aaron Judge one bit. The Giants need multiple outfielders. Mitch, Mitch Hanniger yeah. can play left field. If, if they sign Judge, Judge will play right. Mitch can play left. They'll both get to DH some days. They'll make it work. I'm sure Judge was not going to be the only move the Giants made if they even sign him. So I'm sure they always had secondary options and additional plans to their offseason blueprint. Yeah. <sighs> Happy for Mitch. He's going to look great in that uniform, I'll say. He, he's yeah, going to look great. And, and he will. It's a, just, another it's, note to this, which I can tie in, I think the Giants were one of the teams that would have been interested in Brian Reynolds. I assume if they're chasing after Judge, this takes them out of the Brian Reynolds sweepstakes. It probably does. The teams that I've seen are interested are the Mariners, the Blue Jays, and the Yankees. So those will be three teams to circle and keep an eye on. The Blue Jays especially are looking for a center fielder. So if we want to tie this back to Brian Reynolds for just a minute to wrap up on him, Brian Reynolds should probably not be playing center field for whatever team he goes to. If he goes to the Blue Jays, Mm -hmm. he might because they're looking for a center fielder. He does not grade all that well defensively, at least in defensive runs saved. It's funny enough, outs above average have actually favored him in some years. But I think he's better suited in a corner outfield spot, which if the Mariners trade for him would be perfect because he'd go to left field. Just for some perspective, defensive run saved had him at negative 14 this season. Jesse Winker was at negative 16, if we're talking, <laughs> comparing two different positions. Yeah. But uh, they graded, uh, you know, not great quality for Brian Reynolds. And he wouldn't have to play center field in Seattle. He would be in left, which I think would suit him perfectly and give the Mariners a very good athletic outfield. And Brian Reynolds is a switch hitter. <laughs> It, that, that's great. I mean, you get the right and left-handed hitter. What, you know, Jerry was talking about wanting a righty. Well, you can have both with Brian Reynolds. And the upside for Brian Reynolds is, is really good. So what he did last year, 302, 390, 522, 141 WRC plus as a center fielder, he'll take it. That's about as valuable as, valuable as it gets in Major League Baseball. We're going to have to dive into these defensive metrics at some point one day because you look at his 2021 season which was his career year he had negative five defensive runs saved but 10 outs above average that's a drastic difference obviously they're measured differently but one of these days maybe we'll have to have a sabermetric session on this podcast or something and just dive into it and do some reading or something because that is that is night and day when looking at a player's metrics and it's kind of hard to grade defense, really, because defense is not like I, don't, I wouldn't say it's like it's not like grading defense in the NBA where every minute you're on the floor that you're on defense, you're playing defense, essentially. But in baseball, like you're only playing defense as the ball is hit at you and the ball is only hit at you maybe two to three times, maybe a game, depending on where you play, especially in the outfield. You could see one ball. You could see 15 balls. You know, <laughs> it's not uh, it's not set in stone so that's why it's sort of inconsistent because it's not a great sample size to look at but I guess that would be something we could look at 
I like that idea. We'll have to pocket that one for a, for a slow news week. This it's not a slow news week, so we got not a lot to talk. No, yeah, no. not at all. I mean, so just to look at the Mariners' outlook here as we quickly wrap this up, they are now going to mm-hmm. need an outfielder. There's no question about it. They needed one before, but now that Mitch is a giant, Jerry was talking about the right-handed bat. Well, you think about the free agent outfielders left, Conforto, lefty, Nimmo, lefty, Brian Reynolds, if you trade for him, switch hitter. I don't really know what right-handed outfielders they'd be looking for. If you want to throw out some other names like Joey Gallo, lefty, it's a lot of left-handed hitting outfielders. I get why they want a righty because they're trying to offset Jared Kelnick, assuming he's going to get some real playing time in left field, try to get him against more righties, but it's a lot of lefties out there. But the thing is, when you think about Jerry's like thinking here, all the big bats in the Mariners lineup currently are right-handed. Julio, mm-hmm. righty. Teoscar, righty. Suarez, righty. Like, those Ty. are your big boppers. Ty, righty. Right? Uh, th- like, Dylan Moore, power, right-hand hitter. Sam Haggerty's good side, right-hand hitter. Like, it- it's it- it's pretty right-hand heavy. So, it was a little puzzling to see Jerry say that. We won't know until they officially make their move on what they want to add on what true – how – you know, stark that line in the sand is before we move on Lyle, because we got interrupted by the trade and I thought you were going to bring up a really good point. What does a trade package for Brian Reynolds look like? I would guess if it's not involving major league players, I would guess it probably starts with Emerson Hancock. You probably have to include Bryce Miller I don't think you'll have to include Harry Ford in there, which is the Mariners' top prospect, but I think you'd have to include at least two pitchers, and you'd have to throw in some type of position player, probably an outfielder, whether it's a Zach Deloach, a Cade Marlowe, somebody like that. What's that? (laughs) Evan White? (laughs) Yeah, sure. We don't even know if he's healthy, but hey, here's Evan White. Still young, still spry, still hasn't played that much. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. If we're going off the Major League roster, you'd have to assume Jared Kelnick is going back to Pittsburgh, and that might be the guy they you know, steadfast ask for in this deal. And maybe Jerry says no because he wants to keep JK, which I respect. But in the end, it's like, well, Brian Reynolds is an all-star, a switch hitter, and would make your club considerably better for this year. So that might... You know, be worth giving up Kelnick. So it would probably be, you know, Kelnick, Hancock, and maybe a lower-level prospect. I think that would do it because you're giving a major leaguer a top-pitching prospect and then someone else. I think that would be enough to get Brian Reynolds. And for I was, those who don't... I'm, I'm thinking about this. Uh, I, I just don't think the price for him is going to be as high. I really don't. The only thing to think about, and for those who don't know, Brian Reynolds has three years of club control. That is a lot of team control for a player and a guy that you get to keep on your team for three competitive seasons if you're the Mariners. So that's why the Pirates are probably asking for a King's Ransom back. But I'm with you. I don't think any team's really going to give them what they are asking for. I mean, when the Mariners inquired about him last year, the Pirates told them, yeah, it starts with Julio and the Mariners hung up the phone. So I don't think it's going to be anything like that. I think some package of something along the lines like Hancock, Miller, and a position player could get it done, but we'll have to see. Could you imagine Mariners Twitter right now if they did that trade? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I would have been livid back then. 
Yeah, me too. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm good. Something to think about. Thank goodness Jerry didn't do it. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that'll do it for us on the MLB Wraparound. Let's speak our minds. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. Okay, Lyle, I'm going to lead with you first. What is on your mind this week? I'm going to keep my trend and theme going here because it feels like every week on Speak Your Mind, I've done something along the lines of movies or TV shows or music. I'm going to stick on music again this week. A couple weeks ago, I talked about I was excited for Roddy Rich's album to drop, and I liked it. There was a few good songs on there, but this past Friday, Metro Boomin', hello, my goodness, he dropped a new album. It was awesome. Like, multiple, multiple hit songs on the album. I've listened through multiple times already. My couple of favorite songs on the album, which are probably Superhero and Raindrops, those are the names of the songs, they've been on repeat on my phone for days since they've dropped. There was a kind of a long drought there, I feel like, throughout the summer where we didn't have a whole lot of new music. We're getting a ton Mm -hmm. of it now, and Metro Boomin's album was so good. It's been a while since we've gotten a drop of really good, like, pure trap, like, trap music. Mm -hmm. And, man, he knocked this out of the park. I don't want to go as far as saying, like, album of the year. But listening, I I don't remember the last album I listened through from song one to song, I don't know, 15. All the way through, I'm like, that is masterful. That Mm -hmm. really was great. I mean, the transition from song to song is just, oh, it's so good. And and the samples used in there, I mean, you look at the first song. It uh, it featured John Legend, but he had samples from, have you watched The Boys on Amazon Prime, Lyle? I have not. Okay, do you know who Homelander is? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, so Homelander's like the main superhero slash bad guy in The Boys. He samples Homelander in that. His speech at the end, that's what that was. And I didn't realize that until I went back and I looked. I was like, oh, that's insane. And, I mean, you talk about the transition from, like, song one. Like, I could go through the first probably nine songs, and you could think they're all one song and the beat switch and all. And, oh, Man, he knocked it out of the park. It, probably my favorite album of the year, and it's been out for, what, four day, five days? I mean, straight gas. Uh, thank you, Metro Woman. <laughs> thank you. We needed that. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, was- so my two, my two favorite songs on the album are, like I said, Superhero and Raindrops. Do you have favorites yet? Man, I I don't think I could say I have favorites yet. I'm going to need to listen through it some more. I, I really, Lyle, just love the first probably, uh, like, I like the whole, uh, the the first, I, I can count here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like, until the weekend, like, that stretch of songs, I, I don't know if I could pick a favorite from those, because, I like, it really... it's really just so intertwined and and good, all of them. And they're all different in, you know, different ways, like from from Travis, Travis Scott, who I haven't heard from in forever. He's featured, I think, four times on this album. 
you know, you go from Future to to Travis Scott, back to Twenty One Savage to Young Thug to Don Tolliver to to The Weekend and Twenty One Savage. I mean, oh, like for trap music, it was phenomenal. It, it's such a good mix. Let me finish it up with this before we turn it to you. Mm-hmm. I would bet significant money that there's going to be at least a handful of major leaguers that use Superhero as their walk-up song this year. Like the beat for it, the way it drops, it just feels like your hip-hop walk-up song in in baseball for any player that's trying to hype themselves up before and at bat. We'll see if a Mariner uses it. We'll see who it. We'll see if anybody uses it, but. My money's on that there's going to be at least a few guys that use it as a walk-up song. That's a good bet. That's a good bet. Man, if I need to get hyped up, too, in my car, that's <laughs> that's what I'm going to play. It's really phenomenal. Okay, now mine. We're going to be in sports. It's not going to be baseball. I am pretty sick, and I'm going to use what I wrote down, sick and fucking tired of the Heisman Trophy voters. And the process. My God. Yesterday, the finalists were announced for the Heisman Trophy. Caleb Williams from USC. Max Duggan from TCU. CJ Stroud from Ohio State. And Stetson Bennett from Georgia. (laughs) I don't think you need to be a college football expert to look at this list and say, one guy does not belong here. I have no personal quarrels with Stetson Bennett. He won a national championship next year. He has played very well this year. He has 20 touchdowns this year. Seven rushings, 27 total. And you watch a Georgia game. Are you looking at Stetson Bennett as the guy who's like, he deserves to be one of the four finalists for the most outstanding player in college football? You, no, are you telling Jaylen, me that? No, it's Jalen Carter. Right. It, is Stetson Bennett even number one in his own offense for Heisman? Like, would you not say Brock Bowers or Darnell Washington, the two tight ends, are more valuable? Or his offensive line? Probably. I have a list for you, Lyle. I told you I was going to do this, and I, I did it. I'm going to read you the name of every single quarterback in the Power Five who had more total touchdowns than Stetson Bennett <laughs> this season. Ready? It's a long list. Oh, boy. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Bo Nix, C.J. Stroud, Sam Hartman, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Max Duggan, Jaron Hall, Will Rogers, Michael Penix, Hendon Hooker, Cam Rising, Riley Leonard, Bryce Young, Jordan Travis, Dylan Gabriel, Gabriel, Jaden Delora, DJ Uyunglele, KJ Jefferson, Cam Ward. Those are only the Power 5 quarterbacks. Those are uh, 21 of those guys. There are 15 more group of five quarterbacks who had more total touchdowns than Stetson Bennett did. That's 36 more quarterbacks just on touchdowns who are better than Stetson Bennett this year, let alone actually more outstanding than Stetson Bennett. I mean, what are we doing? (laughs) He's not going to win, obviously, but... He should not be in New York. So let me ask you, would you replace him with Hendon Hooker or Michael Penix? Probably Hendon Hooker. But, you know, I think both have a very good argument. I was thinking Hendon Hooker, Bo Nix, or Michael Penix. But yeah, I, I think, think those are pretty, three pretty easy choices. Or I mean, Drake May. Drake May. We'll, we'll do three or four, right? Bo Nix, Drake May, um, 
Michael Penix, or Hendon Hooker. I think any of those three could have been great. But the fact that Stetson Bennett is there, I mean, some of these voters are like, are you what? You're not even watching games, are you? Like, you're not. Like, what are we doing here? I mean, I talked to a Heisman voter here in, uh, here in Corvallis, Oregon, where, you know, I work, and it's like, I voted for Michael Penix. I didn't, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't vote for Stetsman. Like, what a joke. Like, what are, like, what are we doing? It's like when Will Anderson got snubbed last year. Like, come on. Like, what, what's the point of having an award of it, that of the most outstanding player, if you're not going to, you know, reward the most outstanding players? It's really disappointing. Just, I've, and, and I feel bad for these guys, right? And it, it's, yeah, it's terrible. Just invite three guys to the ceremony instead. Like, if you're not going to include Penix or Hooker, just leave Bennett off the list. Like, just invite Duggan, Williams, and Stroud. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I don't know. I'm just, I'm at a loss for words to that. I, I couldn't believe that when I saw that yesterday. It's, <laughs> I think, really embarrassing for, for the Heisman Trophy voters that, that that is. And again, no disrespect to Stetson Bennett, but you don't deserve to be there. And I think you would agree you don't deserve to be there over some of these other quarterbacks or running backs or wide receivers. <laughs> Pick anything. But, you know, just because you go 12-0 and as a starting quarterback doesn't mean you should be invited to New York. One last thing before we wrap up. How many quarterbacks, over under 50% of quarterbacks at the FBS level could have gone undefeated at Georgia this year? A lot. Over under 50%. Uh, I'll say, I'll say slight under. Hmm. I, I was going to say over, but yeah, I, I, I can see the sides. Like, oh, okay. I, I, I've done enough ranting on that. Never. That, never forget. Go ahead. Never forget that Justin Fields left Georgia, or he was never given a chance to start at Georgia. <sighs> That's a crying shame. You weren't at practice though, Lyle, so you couldn't have known what Kirby Smart saw. <laughs> Want to keep that into perspective here? Just like Stetson Bennett beating out JT Daniels. By the way, in the portal for the one, uh, one, two, uh, no, third time JT Daniels is in the portal now officially as of today. So uh, the the auxiliary effects of Stetson Bennett beating out another quarterback uh, still ripple throughout the college football world. That'll do it for us on this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast. You can follow us on all, on all of our socials at Marine Layer Pod, Twitter, Instagram, all the listening platforms: Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast. You can find our short form content content on TikTok, on YouTube, on Instagram. And wherever else you might consume your information. Uh, well, <laughs> that'll do it for us here on the Marine Layer Podcast. We'll talk to you next week here on the pod. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, 
innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.